Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. And our show today is The Cat's Pajamas because we talk about hostile cats and the guests that taunt them. We're also going to talk about whether or not to mention a deceased child when getting to know someone new and how to respond when someone tells you bad news. Plus, we have an in-depth postscript segment on dietary restrictions. That's all coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. I am so excited this week because we are about to start our summer CSA. Yes! And we're doing it as a team this year. We are. I was really, really uh, thrilled and touched that you and Pooja invited me to join your CSA. I remember you did it last year and you guys loved it. You loved all the fresh veggies that you got. You loved going to the Intervale to pick them and to pick them up. And it was like a nice scene. And it was really great for me to find out that when we split a CSA, that it's actually affordable for me. And that's really great because I have been eating a lot more vegetables and I've kind of had a dietary change. I don't know how long it'll last, but I'm not really eating meat that much anymore. Still eating fish, but not eating sort of red meat and chicken. And it's upped my my produce intake and the amount of produce that I buy at our local stores. And I think it's going to be really exciting to get to go pick fresh, interesting, different things each week based on what's growing and what's ready. For those of you that aren't familiar with the term CSA, it stands for Community Supported Agriculture, and it's a system where uh, local farmers can guarantee a market for their product, and you essentially buy a share of a farm's crop. And sometimes CSAs work with deliveries to certain common points in a town or sometimes even in an office building. The particular CSA that we're going to be joining is one where you go visit the farm itself, and there's a certain amount of produce that's just laid out and ready for you, and then you get to go pick some yourself also. And oftentimes it's a festive little scene down there. There's a band that plays on the Thursday afternoon pickup time. And <laughs> there's often people picnicking and families will gather there. It's a, it's a great little meeting spot and it's a real community center here in Burlington. I love it. I'm really excited to be a part of it. I think it'll be a nice compliment to what I'm already doing in my kitchen and, and with my food prep and everything. I, I think so also. I'm curious, how is the new vegetarian diet going? It's going really well, but I'm surprised by the reactions I'm getting. Some people... I kind of explained that I'm not over meat. I'm not done with meat. I just, it's been a natural inclination to just not be eating it so much anymore. And it's felt really good in my system. So I'm just running with it. But I am surprised every now and again, I get people saying things like, oh, you crossed over to the dark side or, oh, you can't eat with us anymore. Or, oh, great. She's gone that route. And I'm a little bit bummed because it's such a positive thing in my life. Like I didn't 
vegetables were never really my focus before. And now all of a sudden I have all these great veggie dishes that I'm really proud of that feel satisfying and it's a positive thing. So I'm a little bummed about some of the comments I've been getting, but at the same time, I'm really happy with what I'm doing. And like I said, I'm not totally out of the game. I'm just running with this right now. I, I was so <laughs> like, curious to hear that yeah. had been your experience because you're you're talking to someone. I'm someone who has uh, transitioned in and out of a meat diet on and off for yeah. years. And to me, it seems like a pretty natural, seamless yeah, transition. It, I have a mother who eats meat pretty regularly and a father who adopted a vegetarian diet. So I'm I'm used to navigating questions about why someone would eat meat, why someone wouldn't, and frankly, it not being a big deal even in the same household. Right. And I've actually come to you in the past couple of weeks. So you want to know what goes on in our office. I often come to Dan to ask etiquette questions. I'm like, how do you deal with this? I'm surprised about it. I'm surprised I'm getting backlash from people and how how am I handling it? I tend to say things like, like, well, it's what I'm trying for now or it feels right to me right now. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not judging anybody else. I've been a meat eater for years. Like, you know. I think you might be experiencing some of the, the residual bad manners. I think sometimes people feel that when um, someone adopts a diet that's a restricted diet or an austere diet, that it's a comment on people that haven't. And I think that right. there are times when it's presented that way. M- maybe yes, someone's people act in- like they're holier than thou for taking this route or something like that. And that would put someone else down. And, and I've witnessed yeah. your genuine enthusiasm <laughs> for the quality of the diet that you're adopting, not your distaste for the diet that you're not <laughs> Some people might say like, oh, you don't have to defend yourself or you don't have to act like being a vegetarian is somehow a bad thing. It's more that I want so much to communicate to them that I don't look down on what they're eating just because I've all of a sudden changed my habits and my norms. Well, we didn't plan it this way, but this is a great introduction because we're going to get into this topic a little later in the show in our postscript. So shall we get on with the show and answer some questions so we can get to that postscript? I think we shall. Perhaps you can help me with a problem. I'd like your advice, Jim. My advice? Yes, I've got quite a serious problem. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802-866-0860. Our first question is titled, Little Chicken Crossing the Road. Hello, Lizzie and Daniel. My husband is a business owner and works part of the time from an office within our home. He is currently mentoring a new agent that he has hired for his real estate office, meaning this young man is usually working wherever my husband is, sometimes also from our home. By the time I arrive home for the evening, I've had a long day. I have traffic-filled commutes both ways and often have to run errands after work. The homes in our neighborhood are close together, and our setup allows for one car to be parked in the garage and one in the driveway. On days that this new agent is working from my house, he will usually park in the driveway, leaving me to have to parallel park across the street if I get home before he leaves. I don't want to seem ungrateful for the hard work this agent is doing for my husband, but lugging groceries across a busy street to my own house is not my idea of a great start to my evening. Is there a polite way to explain that to my husband's new employee? Is it silly to request he park across the street when I'm not even home for the majority of the day? Is it better for my husband to say something to him as a supervisor, or should I be the one to speak up so that there won't be possible unnecessary tension between them as co-workers? Any input is much appreciated. Best regards. Little chicken crossing the road. Well, little chicken... 
I, I want to start off by saying there could be a really simple solution to this particular yeah. problem. It's, it sounds like this is something that happens once in a while, and I can see why it's an annoyance, and I could see why you wouldn't want it to be a habit every time the this person is working from your home with your husband. I think that the key here is really to start talking to people, and the first person I'd talk to is your husband. It might be the case that this person is trying to get out of there by that time every day anyway, and they just need just a little impetus to finish their workday when their workday ends. You, you just don't know. <laughs> I would definitely let your husband handle it. I would let your husband manage the relationship that he has with his coworker. I would talk to your husband and tell him very clearly how you're seeing the situation, how it makes you feel. You can always think of the when you, I feel statements. When this happens, I feel this way statements are, are also really effective. And you can explain exactly the way you explained in a very reasonable way to us what's going on and why you would hope that it would be easier easy to find some accommodation or make some change so that you don't end up in that position. I think you're right to say that this is a really simple solution. I mean, let the agent know that he can park there until X time and then, you know, say, hey, just so that Beth can get into the into the driveway, you know, once she's home with all the groceries or after her commute, how about we just set a timer and at four o'clock we make sure to move your car across the street. And that's it. So he doesn't have to park on the street from the beginning, but just by this time, we need to move the car out. And that's perfectly understandable, especially when dealing with a home office situation. And because your husband is managing or mentoring this person, he's really the appropriate person to have this discussion. Absolutely. And it's, it sh- there's no reason to think that's going to introduce any awkwardness or tension in their relationship as coworkers. Little Chicken, we hope that that helps. And we truly hope that you are no longer crossing the road. Our next question is about Divorce News Dilemma. This came up for the second time in the past year, and I'm not sure how to respond to it. When someone tells you they're getting a divorce, what do you say? Both times I panicked in my head and said, I'm sorry to hear that. And both people responded with, don't be. I'm happier. It's for the best. So, Lizzie and Dan, what should I say? This is a tricky one, but I also I think it's really common that a lot of people aren't sure. And I think a lot of people do the I'm sorry. They offer the sympathy and it can feel very wrong when it's met back with. No, no, no. This is a good thing. You're like, okay, I thought I just didn't know. I'm sorry. I didn't you know, all of a sudden you just feel like you've said the wrong thing. So I totally sympathize with with our listener. I think one of the best things to say, but when someone delivers news that you're not sure whether they're going to be happy or upset about it is how are you feeling about it? Sometimes I think that initial... Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Straight check-in from the get-go is one of the best things that you could do. So if you told me something awful had happened or that, you know, there was divorce, I would say, you know, oh, oh my goodness, I'm sorry to hear this. How are you feeling about it? You know, because I I do think it's okay to say I'm sorry to hear this, Mm -hmm. but how are you feeling about it immediately gets to how this other person is interpreting this, receiving it. I think it also doesn't place judgment on them. It doesn't tell them how they should be feeling. Mm -hmm. I think it, it immediately invites them to give you their perspective on the situation. And I think that's always going to be the right thing to do. The only other language I thought that um, might be useful would be something to the effect of, I'm I'm glad you felt comfortable sharing this with me. I'm one, How are you doing with it? But that is a little bit of a deeper response. And to me, the I'm so sorry before you move on to that other thing sounds very natural also. So I... I you hear Although how it, it comes out all of a sudden. It doesn't escape the, the problem. Right. But I do think that you've managed to transition it pretty successfully. The other thing that I think you're really wise about here is, is taking the opportunity to let them define the situation. Yeah. My little tip here is to think of yourself as an instant detective, <laughs> that when someone gives you this kind of news, you mentioned that you felt a little flustered, that you were panicked in your response. And if you can really say to yourself, what is this person really telling me? Did they tell me in a way that was really quick and offhand? That probably is their way of indicating that this isn't something they're really wrestling with. Did they ask to talk to me about it in private? Were they really quiet when they talked about it? Were there tears? These, this would be indicators, the other end indicators. of the spectrum that would indicate that someone really is feeling bad yeah. about the situation. Yeah. But you're an instant detective. You've really got to be watching them for cues. And it's why it's important to really listen and to use all of your listening skills. Divorce News Dilemma, we truly hope that this helps and that you'll feel more confident asking and inviting the other person to share their feelings about difficult news that gets shared. This next question is called Trying Not to Make a Fuss. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, I recently arranged for a dinner with friends at a restaurant at a resort town where I ordered a steak from the list of special selections offered for the day. The steak was covered with a delicious wine reduction, adding a fantastic flavor. However, hidden beneath the reduction, the meat itself was incredibly fatty. In fact, after a few attempts at trying to find an area of the steak that was edible, I just gave up and quietly continued to eat the delicious side dishes that came with the entree. My friends and I shared several appetizers, and each of our entrees came with a salad, so while I was disappointed in the main course, I knew I wouldn't be leaving hungry. One of my friends asked why I had stopped eating the steak, and I mentioned that the flavor was great, but the meat was fatty. A few minutes later, our waiter approached the table and asked about the meal. My friend immediately told the waiter of my disappointment that this was really not his place could be the subject of an entirely different email. The waiter immediately apologized and asked if he could bring me something else from the kitchen. I explained to the waiter that I wasn't really hungry, and more importantly, I wanted to avoid a situation where I would be served a complete dinner long after everyone else 
else at the table had finished their main course. Not satisfied, the waiter immediately summoned the manager. The manager practically begged me to allow him to bring a replacement meal, which I refused. Of course, all this became the focus of the meal, which was exactly what I was hoping to avoid by quietly eating around the portion of the meal that was not to my liking. Was I rude to refuse the restaurant's offer to make things right? What is the proper way to handle a situation where a meal ordered at a restaurant isn't to your liking? Bob. Bob, I want to first of all compliment you for understanding the heart of the good etiquette here, which is that ultimately your goal is not to embarrass your host or the establishment, but to resolve the situation in a way that's satisfactory to you. That's the person who's paying for a meal or for your host who's paying for your meal. If you're not worried about a replacement and you enjoyed everything else and you're full, that's okay. It really is. And that heart of good etiquette is implied also in your your parenthetical that it really wasn't your friend's place to tell the restaurant how unacceptable your meal was. Once you find yourself in the situation, then I start to say to myself, maybe a new set of rules apply here, that I'm really trying to do whatever I can to minimize and get out of the situation the other way. If offering to take a dessert, even if it's not something that I was initially going to take, is what's going to make the manager go away and leave the table alone. But it's not your obligation. It's not something that that anyone's expecting you to do out of a, a sense of good etiquette. The other thought that I had is that the restaurant could have offered just to not charge you for your meal. That when you say, you know, I'm really not interested in getting a whole other entree. I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay here. Um, mm-hmm. I do think there's a little bit of a rudeness on their part in not accepting that answer from you, but really being insistent and starting to make a production and a scene out I'm in of that camp. the dissatisfaction. I'm straight up in that camp that I'm like, I don't think you have to like suggest something else that they could do instead or anything like that. I think it's okay. You know, the bottom of the question is, is it okay to refuse? I think it is okay to refuse and say, you know, I was really satisfied with the other items that I ate this evening. The meat just wasn't a home run for me. Thank you very much for the offer, though. Done. Out. End of story. That would clear it for me. You know, and I think you were in a tough spot where the restaurant was over the top trying to help you. And they weren't picking up that you were really okay. And, you know, you can even talk to friends when things aren't good and say, I really don't want to bring this up with the restaurant because I truly am satisfied with everything else. So, you know, when they ask, we're all good. And you can even preface something like that if should this kind of situation happen again. And if it's really that thing that you've been waiting for, you're looking forward to or you're hungry and you need more food. That's totally appropriate to ask for that. This might be a silly example, but I did this with a tuna melt the other week. I was, you know, again, still eating some fish. (laughs) But I had ordered a tuna melt and it came and it wasn't cooked, melted or anything. It was just cold tuna with unmelted cheese on it. And, uh, you know, I was feeling a little playful that day. And the, the waitress set it down in front of me and she said, does everything look okay?" And I said, well... Can we call it a melt if it's not melted or cooked? And she goes, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that. Yes, let me go back and get that on the grill for you. And it was such an easy fix, but we did it right at the start. And I would say in the future, if you're really noticing that meat is fatty, put it aside or signal the waiter and get it taken care of in the beginning so that you could get that replacement steak in five or ten minutes 
when you can enjoy it with the rest of your table. And that's perfectly acceptable to do as well. I couldn't agree more. I like the way you're thinking about the ease of the fix yeah. being part of your decision making about what you're asking for from them. And yeah. I don't think that's a big ask. And I don't think people should feel uncomfortable doing that. Yeah. And Bob asks, you know, what about other times when a meal isn't to your liking? I, I can remember distinctly a meal that I ate that I was really disappointed with it. I truly was. But I had taken the gamble on ordering it. And so what I did was when I told the waitress when she came over, I said, I'm going to give you my really honest opinion about it, but I want you to know that I took the gamble on ordering this and it wasn't to my liking and that's okay. I'm not looking for a replacement meal or anything. But, you know, truthfully, when I expect to order a curry dish, I think lots of vegetables, not only mushrooms. And, you know, when you say green curry dish, I think it's going to be green, not gray. And I really was disappointed with how this dish came out. It didn't have an amazing amount of vegetables. It, it, it wasn't a well-rounded meal for me. I took the gamble and I don't want you to replace it, but I think feedback is really important. So I hope that helps in the future. And she, the waitress totally understood. She didn't remove it from the bill. She didn't comp a drink or anything because I told her, don't worry about it. I took the risk. So there's really not a right or wrong answer in this situation. And I think the way that you've identified the issues at play here indicates to me that you're in great shape moving forward. But thank you for asking the question because it does provide an opportunity for a really delicious discussion. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsors. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Here, let's try another trick. next question is about being honest versus being uncomfortable. My husband and I have been married for 30 years, and we have a blended family, but no children from our marriage. He has four sons, and I have two sons. My only daughter died in 2003 as a result of a car accident. I always refer to and introduce our children as our children. We have recently moved to a new state and are meeting our neighbors and making friends. How do I respond when I am asked how many children I have? If I say six sons, I'm always asked, no daughters? To which if I respond with, we lost our daughter in 2003, it often makes these folks I've just met uncomfortable. And I'm not sure that I'm comfortable sharing about our daughter with folks that I'm meeting for the first time. Do you have any suggestions, Susie? Susie, we're so sorry to hear about the loss of your daughter, but thank you for your question about it. The 
simple answer here is I think going to be the easiest, that if you're comfortable saying something like seven children and leaving it at that, you're going to be in really great shape. And it doesn't invite that question about the genders or the ratios of the genders that really leads you into that potentially tricky or difficult territory. I love that. And I think that the way that you do say it, even if you don't necessarily want to discuss your daughter's death with a stranger, is actually very appropriate. We lost our daughter in 2003. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. You can follow up with, thank you. It was sad, but life goes on. And I actually called up our uncle to talk to him about this because when we were all very young, we lost our cousin, Paul. And so my uncle has to deal with this on a frequent basis. And he, too, has, you know, stepchildren in his life. And so he, he deals with exactly the situation you're talking about. And what he says is that he plays it by ear. If it's a new person, he'll often just simply say, I have two kids and just leave it at that. And if he's getting to know someone or he's met them a few times and they start talking about children, he'll say, I have two kids, a son from my first marriage and a stepdaughter. And that kind of clarifies and gets into it a little bit more. And he said if it's someone that he's really getting to know and really likes, he will invite them into his life a bit more and say, I had two sons, but one passed away years ago. And I also have a stepdaughter. And often they say something like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And he delivers that exact line of thank you. It was sad and it was tough, but life really does go on. And he leaves it at that. And he finds that it doesn't make other people uncomfortable. And what he said and what he was concerned about with this answer was exactly what you're concerned about, not making the other person who has no idea that they're about to hear about a personal tragedy uncomfortable. And he really gauges the time and place and the person that he chooses to reveal that to for their own sake. And I think you could do exactly that based on the situations that you're you're presented in with your move. That is really the heart of good etiquette. It's all about your ability to put other people at ease, to make other people feel comfortable and to make that one of your um, real considerations as you think about how to interact with people. And I really see you doing that here. So thank you for the example of really good etiquette. I like our next question because it's called Don't Mess With Kitty. Dear Dan and Lizzie, My husband and I have a very mean cat named Max. He is very sweet to the two people that he likes, the two of us, and is very aggressive to strangers, anyone else. Max is usually content to just sit and watch our guests as long as they do not attempt to interact with him. When someone new comes in our home, we tell them that he is not a nice cat and to please ignore him, not look him in the eye, and please do not try to pet him. Unfortunately, people often do not listen to us. They often tell us that cats love them or they think it's funny to try and taunt the cat to get a reaction. This, of course, results in someone getting scratched or lunged at. Now, that would not be so bad because generally I feel like those people got what they deserved when they were fairly warned. The problem is that after this happens, the cat is so defensive that it is nearly impossible for me to move him to a safe bedroom without injury and or he starts swiping at innocent bystanders who were following our directions. Not to mention it is very cruel to him when these people taunt him as he feels genuinely threatened. We try to lock up the cat before children are in our house, and we definitely put him away after an incident of attack occurs, even if he was provoked. He definitely does not like getting put in timeout, but we are happy to do it when it becomes a safety concern. My question is twofold. One, should our cat be put in timeout before anyone comes to our house, even though he would not misbehave unless he was provoked by a human not following directions? In other words, is it our responsibility to punish the cat for humans who don't understand that we mean it when we tell them to stay away? And two, can you tell me with some sample language that people will not think is a joke when I tell them he will attack them if provoked? Best, Sarah. 
cat wrangler or human wrangler? Oh, Sarah, I think you are definitely both. I've heard of cats like these. My my cats are not like these, but you had a friend that you think you were like, maybe this is my friend's cat. I thought this was about the D-man until I heard scratching, and they ultimately had D-man declawed, although okay. he still bites people. So he's, yeah. And it, it can happen that some cats are like this. And they're very sweet and lovey with their owners, so we know they're capable of it. But I think that it might be best to keep the cat in a separate room initially. And I would encourage you to not think of it so much as time out immediately, but as protecting the cat. Because I as a pet owner, really understand your instinct of, hey, you're really messing with my cat and upsetting him. Of course he's going to scratch you. Like, of course, I've warned you. It, I don't know. I think it's it's good to think of it as I'm protecting my cat in this circumstance. It's not necessarily time out. It's a safe space. Exactly. And it's a safe space for him as well as your guests. Exactly. So keep the cat in a separate room initially until you can gauge whether these guests are going to get it and leave the cat alone, or whether they'll try to provoke him. And I think that if you want some sample language, if you are letting the cat out, to say something like, please ignore our cat for your own good and truly for his too. It's not fun to watch him get taunted. It's not fun to watch people try and see if he will be friendly with them. We're not going to have Disney moments with this cat. But I think really getting people to understand that it's not just about you know, for their own safety, but it's also for the cats. I'm reminded I'm a proud owner of a little toy poodle, Raju, and he is little and adorable and cute. And when people see him, they just want to pick him up. Mm -hmm. They want to grab him in their hands and just mush into his little cuteness and hold him. (laughs) And I can't imagine what it's like for him to go through life where just about every new person he meets is a giant who wants to pick him up and massage him and mooch him and like just hold him close and treat him like a little teddy bear. And I think it's a real courtesy to remember that these animals are independent creatures and beings also. And for their benefit and their sake, it matters how we approach them. Sarah, we hope that this helps and we hope that in the future, both your cat and your guests are all going to survive visits without blood and tears. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. What do you know? Thank you so much for your questions. You can send us updates and comments to 802-866-0860. Or you can reach us by email at awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or on Twitter using the hashtag awesomeetiquette. time for the postscript segment of our show where we explore the exciting nuances of a single piece of etiquette and today we're going to talk more about your dietary preferences with people. Our producer Hans got a chance to talk with a listener who had a very interesting situation and her name is Meatless in Seattle. Hi Lizzie and Dan. Um, About a month ago I wrote in with a question. I'm getting married this summer in a few months and my fiance's parents are being very kind as to host our um, rehearsal lunch. Um, The problem comes in when I only eat kosher and halal meat, 
Otherwise, I just eat vegetarian. That's usually what I do from day to day. So for listeners who might not know, kosher is the set of Jewish dietary laws and halal is the Muslim set of dietary laws. Each of these terms is used to describe a wide variety of foods, but... For me, I just adhere to the different kinds of meat that you can and can't have. Meats like pork or meats that have not been slaughtered in a specific way. And Meatless's soon-to-be mother-in-law knows about her dietary choices. But even so, she decided to have their lunch catered by a local barbecue place. And despite assurances that there would be lots of vegetable sides ordered, Meatless is still nervous about the lunch. So unfortunately, there's sort of a history with her not taking my dietary preferences as seriously as I'd hoped that she would. For example, there's been times when I've eaten dinner at her house and then she would just offhandedly mention after dinner that there was chicken stock in the casserole she made or something like that. Because I really think the problem, I don't think they consciously disregard my dietary preferences. I think they just, it's not a concern for them. So they don't think about it. And so they forget. And then when they remember, it's not, they don't think it's a big deal. And that makes me less nervous about the lunch because in a lot of restaurants that are meat-oriented or barbecue places, even the vegetables or vegetable sides are cooked with animal fats or stocks, and therefore they aren't vegetarian and definitely not kosher or halal. And so I raised my concerns to her. I asked her if she could please make sure with the caterer that they could actually prepare vegetarian vegetables. Which is very nice of the soon-to-be mother-in-law, but... Given our history with eating meals with her, I'm a little bit worried that she's just going to forget about it. And in the end, she'll either have to make a last-minute change with the lunch or me and my family won't really have much to eat. Because the added stress of this lunch is that Meatless will be accompanied by members of her family. So when it's just an issue with her, Meatless says she can deal with it. But I just know at this rehearsal lunch, it's going to be my mother, it's going to be my sisters who are in the same dietary situation as I am, and I didn't want them to have to deal with any type of um, lack of concern. So, Meatless decided to reach out to us. To make sure that her family has something to eat at this lunch, she wanted to know if it was okay for her to reach out to the soon-to-be mother-in-law the week before the lunch to double-check that the vegetables had been ordered in the right way. I don't want to nag her. Um, I didn't want to try to take control of this lunch that she's hosting. But I am concerned about not just me, but, you know, my mother's going to be there, my sister's going to be there, and I wanted to make sure that they also were going to be able to have a few options as far as what to eat. So I responded to this question, and my first suggestion was to ask your future mother-in-law if Meatless could call with her, you know, if together they could call the caterer. Kim, I'd love to double check with the caterer that the vegetable dishes aren't made with any meat broths or anything like that. Could we give them a call just now to be sure? You know, I'm a little concerned just because my whole family is coming and we all eat halal. And it's one thing when it's just me, but I want to make sure that everyone can really enjoy the foods that are going to be here because this is going to be such a beautiful lunch. And even if the future mother-in-law and and Meatless have to leave a message, at least the caterer will have heard that and she can trust that it's been voiced. And she's not going behind her future mother-in-law's back. The future mother-in-law is the host of this event and has been coordinating everything. And I think if you just picked up and called the caterer, it might seem a little like, 
like you don't trust the mother-in-law. And as you're especially on this important relationship that you're trying to build, this is a chance to build that trust and to build that respect as opposed to kind of try to maneuver around it. What do you think about asking the mother-in-law if she would mind if you gave a call to double check on the, how vegetarian good, those sides no, were going to be? Another good option. You don't actually have to call with the mother-in-law, but ask or let her know that you're going to give the, the caterer. Hey, I'd love to call the caterer and just double check. I know sometimes they forget that, you know, beef broth isn't going to be OK. I've been burned on this in the past or I know people who've been burned on yeah. this in the past. And I want to check in with them one more time yeah. for my own clarity. <laughs> and I thought that that was a really great way to handle it. It was very straightforward and honest and, like, proactive, which is exactly the kind of thing that I need to work on. Her advice was, I guess, to be more proactive than I ended up having to be just because of the way things turned out. So the way things turned out was actually a bit of luck. Meatless was prepared to take your advice, Lizzie, and talk with her soon-to-be mother-in-law the next time they got together. And it turns out that that next time was when the mother-in-law invited Meatless and her fiancé to the restaurant to try it out, which they weren't expecting to do before the luncheon. So I got to ask while we were there about their vegetable sides. And unfortunately, we were told that most of them are prepared with meat. Now everyone had heard what Meatless had feared together, and so they had a chance to talk about it together. And Meatless ate her mac and cheese and potatoes, the only things on the menu that she could eat, and they all discussed their options. We talked about um, still ordering from this place, but also making some things at home to bring. And by the end of the meal, they had come up with a basic plan. So everyone finishes a meal in a good place. But after Meatless left that evening... My fiancé and I found out that before leaving the restaurant, my future in-laws actually went and found the manager of the restaurant and talked to him about our special circumstance. And they got word from him that he could absolutely prepare the vegetable sides in an actual vegetarian manner for a catered lunch. And all we have to do is put the request in, and he can do that for us. Which is exactly the sort of consideration that Meatless was hoping for. Super cool. So here's where it becomes kind of an etiquette salute. I just really, really appreciate the, the thought and the effort. And now I'm really, really looking forward to the rehearsal lunch and everything that goes along with that. And I think that that bodes well for our continuing relationship as um, in-laws. So what are you guys going to be eating? Um, so we're going to have uh, collard greens. As far as what I'm going to have, I'm going to be having collard greens, um, mashed potatoes, um, green beans, I think there's going to be fried okra involved, and macaroni and cheese. And then, of course, there will be a couple of meat sides for those that are that way inclined. That sounds like an amazing meal. Right there. <laughs> yeah, I'm can... looking forward to it. So now that the lunch is sorted, Meatless has a couple of questions for you, Lizzie and Dan, about her situation. So the first question is a request for some sample language uh, for when somebody invites her over for a home-cooked meal but they don't ask her about her dietary restrictions beforehand. I don't want to be rude. I don't want to waste any food. I, d I don't want to offend anybody, but I do like what I like, and I don't like what I don't like, and I've never been able to just get over it and eat whatever's in front of me. So, Lizzie and Dan, my question is, how do I proactively bring up my dietary preferences when somebody is hosting me but they haven't asked me about them? 
So this is a classic on our show, and some of our longtime listeners have heard this before, but we're going to say it again because it's a really important one. If someone hasn't talked to you or specifically asked, do you have any allergies or dietary restrictions, it's on you to bring it up as a guest, and that's perfectly polite. And the way that you do it is what we call the host-guest dance. So your host invites you, they haven't asked any specifics, and you just say, I'm so happy that we can come. We're really looking forward to it. I just want to let you know that I adhere to a all dietary restrictions, and I am more than happy to bring a dish. For me, basically, it just means I, I don't eat meat or I don't eat these types of meat or I don't eat these meats unless they're prepared in this special way. I'm happy to bring a dish that meets my needs if that makes it easier on you. And that invites your host to say, oh, no, we actually do the same. So the dinner will be perfect. Or, you know, oh, you know what? That would be so wonderful because I just wouldn't want to get it wrong and have you be sick or be be upset with what you've eaten. It allows the host to make the choice as to whether they can take on preparing your special restriction or not. And that's perfectly polite for you to do. Meatless's next question is about terminology. She's not strictly vegetarian. She does eat meat but only certain meats. I often use like the term vegetarian just as shorthand because there's an understanding there and not everybody knows about like kosher meat and even less people know about halal meat. So it's just easier in a lot of social circles to just say I'm vegetarian. And I don't know, maybe that's not the best way to handle it going forward. Anytime dietary restrictions come up, I love this question because it it uses an example that we often use when we describe manners and how manners change or evolve. A question that we often got at the Emily Post Institute years ago was my son or daughter just came back from college a vegetarian. I don't know what to do about it or I don't know what to serve them. And I oftentimes point out that today most restaurants have vegetarian options. Most people have internalized that what a vegetarian diet means. So I can see how you would be tempted to use it as a shorthand to describe the type of dietary restriction that you have. Um, you want to be careful that you don't tread into that territory of being dishonest, that it might work very well to just say, you know, I'm vegetarian in these circumstances because it keeps my diet essentially halal or kosher, that it could be confusing for someone else to hear you say that or identify that way if they then later saw you eating meat. That did satisfy your dietary requirements. Oh, you mean if you said, like, I'm a vegetarian and then they see you eating, I get what you're saying. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Something, meat that is prepared in a halal way. Yeah. So you could take this opportunity to do just a very brief education. You could say, you know, I adhere to a halal diet. Oftentimes that means treating myself as a vegetarian when I go out. And that can help someone maybe not not feel like they need to get down and figure out everything that's implied by the type of dietary restriction that you're talking yeah. about, but also find that common ground with you where you can organize a menu together. Yeah. Or you could even say something like, I do eat meat, but it has to be prepared specially in accordance to my religion or in accordance to halal. So I don't typically I just go for vegetarian because it's just easier, you know, to handle. This will allow you in the times when you are able to eat something that's been prepared by halal standards to actually enjoy it and not have someone come up and question you. So Meatless has one last question on dietary preference. One thing that in both these situations that I feel not guilty about, but that affects the way that I behave when it comes to things like this is because this is, a, for me, a dietary choice. It's not a medical necessity. This is the way I choose to eat. So I don't know if that means I should expect less from people 
or if I deserve less from people as far as accommodations for that because it's something that I'm choosing to do versus something I have to do. No. No. (laughs) This really is, it's just because you're not allergic to these meats, just because they're not going to harm your digestive system in some way, it's still perfectly fine. And you should be respected based on your choices, even if they don't come from a medical standpoint. And that's really your business. What you decide to eat is such a personal choice that it's really not up to anyone else to comment or judge why you're making those decisions or for what reasons. And if you want to share those things, that's up to you. But it's it's not necessary. Well, Dan and I both want to thank Meatless and Hans for getting together on the phone and having this fabulous follow-up conversation because it is nice to get to delve deeper into this subject matter that I'm dealing with a little bit that other people deal with on a daily basis. And our friends out there who have allergies, we know that you're dealing with it. And it really is so important that we feel confident and comfortable communicating what it is that we want to eat and how we like to eat it. We like to end each week with a salute from a listener who has experienced some good etiquette in the world. Today, we hear from Megan. Hello, Dean Dan. My name is Megan, and I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, where I live with my 18-month-old son and my husband. My husband and I were traveling um, by airplane um, with our son for the first time, and it was over Memorial Day weekend. We were flying out of the Will Rogers World Airport in Oklahoma City. We happened to be traveling on the day that the problems with TSA and the long airport security lines were making front page news. We heard about two-hour waits, possibly. It was making me pretty nervous. Flying normally makes me a little anxious anyways, so you can imagine I was even more nervous traveling with a toddler in an unfamiliar airport on top of that. I was prepared to have a long wait at security and to deal with people that were not very friendly and maybe were disgruntled about their job and were letting that show. We found exactly the opposite. People were just smiling, and the process that they had set up was so efficient. People were explaining everything really well to us and felt really happy when we were through the security line, and we had plenty of time to hang out at the gate and let our toddler burn off some energy before the long flight, so that was a really nice bonus. (laughs) I just want to give a huge thank you to TSA in general and at the Will Rogers World Airport in specific. Thank you for doing the job that you do. I know it's not easy, and thank you for being pleasant and um, courteous. I really appreciate the salute. It's it's wonderful to hear someone talk positively about what they experienced in what often people think of as something that's going to be annoying or a hassle. But more importantly, I really appreciate that that whole TSA team looked at the situation going on and they didn't just check out. You know, Dan and I travel a lot 
And it makes a huge difference when we're going through security and you can see people with TSA members with friendly smiles, actively helping people rather than kind of every now and again, you get the the glazed over look or the just dismissive, yep, move along. And it's wonderful, especially when you take a minute to realize some people have never traveled before. Some people have never traveled with a baby before. And to just put yourself in that position, and this TSA team clearly did, and it made such a difference for this family. I know you've been talking with Travel and Leisure magazine pretty regularly about all of the potential pitfalls pitfalls and difficulties traveling. And I just so appreciate hearing someone enter that space with a positive mental outlook and just how transformational that can be for the experience that everyone has together in that potentially stressful situation. Megan, thank you so much for your salute. We find that getting along with people is pretty important. Do you think you can do that? Oh, yes, I think I can. Thank you to everyone for listening. You can send us questions, comments, salutes, feedback, updates to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or call us up and leave a message on our voicemail at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And don't forget to help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the incredible Hans Buto. 